so we record these episodes a little early. So I think we're recording this like what the day after Leonard Nimoy's 90th birthday, right? Oh, really? I don't think I knew that. No, I believe so. I believe that uh, we're recording this on March 27th, 2021, which I believe I believe March 26th was Leonard Nimoy's 90th birthday. So uh, happy birthday. I mean, unfortunately, you know, not no longer with us. Actually, just like a month ago, right? Or, or earlier this month was, was Shatner's 90th birthday, too. So and he is still with was us. Was it really? I didn't realize they were that yeah. close in age. I went on his uh, Twitter page the day that it was his birthday and, you know, William Shatner and social media is always kind of like a, a risky proposition <laughs> because I, I, I believe that he's a little more kind of conservative and reactionary, I think, than a lot of the other Star Trek cast. And so it was a very strange mix of him, like retweeting people who were wishing him a happy birthday and then like debating people about autism um, oh. and I, and I don't I don't know enough about about like the autism debate or like the acronyms he was using to you know know how I th- what I think about like whether he's right or wrong it seemed like his heart was in the right place anyway like that he was you know trying to advocate for people with autism uh, but it was it was just like a funny thing to see it's like you just it's not something you see like most of the time with like a 90 year old celebrity is like a, a combination between him talking about like eating cake and then like every now and then being like well actually this organization is blah blah, blah you know it's just it was funny but uh, yeah I, I uh, in honor of his of Nimoy's birthday I, I posted on Twitter my my top 10 favorite uh star trek main cast members of all time uh list which we don't have to go through here but he's he's number one um nice i sent you that list yeah i was very impressed that you you went through (laughs) the entirety of all main cast members i was like there's i don't think that could ever do do that to that depth yeah i tried to rank every main cast member in any show you know it's not necessarily super scientific and and uh, certainly there are some characters where, I, well, it was it was also like a thing, a funny thing, too, where it was like some of the characters really are just kind of like underserved because like I've seen probably more episodes of Voyager for this podcast than I've seen in any other Star Trek show. And I still don't have a feel, enough of a feeling about Harry Kim to <laughs> rank him. And, and then also there's a character named uh, Nan, I think is her name, who is a main cast member in season three of discovery and i think she's in a little bit of season two yeah as i think well. she shows up if she's who i'm thinking of i think she shows up in season two because she like was pike's security officer on yeah on enterprise and then like decided to stay on discovery yeah i think she's in the episode where arium dies uh, yeah she's the one in that yeah and i think we're thinking of the same person so that, that also didn't really speak well, I think, to necessarily how all of the characters are served in Discovery, because I also put her on my list, despite having me having watched every episode of Star Trek <laughs> in which she appears within the last six months. But I was still like, I don't really feel like I know this character very well at all. Yeah, but, I think uh, that I feel like that's the case of like a large amount of the bridge crew on Discovery. I was I was shocked, like, actually, that she's a main cast member, because I, I thought she was just like in that kind of like... The same as like the... The two guys, yeah, the Reese two, and somebody else that I don't know which one's which, and the two women that that uh, are like the helmsman and the yeah the navigator, yeah. I, I thought she was one of those people, but apparently she was a main cast member. Interesting this season. 
they all seem very cool. I kind of, yeah, I wish the show was about like if if Discovery ended like turned into like a lower decks show, but for that ship, I almost feel like I would probably like it more. Yeah, uh, I would like to know more about like all of those characters. Yeah, but, um, including Arium before she. Anyways. Yeah, but Spock though, Spock's still my number one. Um, it's a good choice. A good, a good number one. And I was also just thinking about too, like how uh, with DS Nine, like. I think that like still like the best characters from uh, TNG kind of like stand above a lot of the DS9 characters in terms of like when it's their time to turn to like have an episode. You know, it's like it's it's hard to beat like Picard, you know, at, yeah. at those times. But then like For data. Yeah. But like, again, like doing the list made me think about how how well like, DS9 works as like an ensemble show where it, it it keeps a lot of those characters in the mix. Like, I feel like it's less often that where like sometimes you see on like TNG where it's like, Oh crap, we need, we're paying, uh, uh, we're paying Marina Sirtis. We need to have her in a scene. And then she comes out and she's like, I don't know, captain. I feel some bad energy. And I'm like, that's, yeah. yeah. Everyone's very nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, just like, looking at, yeah, they're nervous. Half the crew just died. Right. And, and uh, you know, looking at my list, I've, I've like, like kind of bore it out where it's like it is it's Spock and then it's some TNG people and then and then kind of DS9. But then I think that like yeah. the cast of DS9 really works as like a, a cohesive unit. Yeah, I guess this might be a good time to shout out too that um, I presumably it's still going on and will be for a long time that I think we've talked about World Cup of Trek on this uh, yeah, before, we talked we? back when they were doing. Yeah, they did the a vote for the best episode, the best uh, story of all time. So I think yeah. it ended up being, did it end up being Wrath of Khan? I think I can't remember. It was uh, between Wrath of Khan and Best of Both Worlds, and I can't remember which one won. Yeah, which means for our podcast that it's kind of all downhill from here, I guess. But right, well, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but they're now doing the the best character of all time. Of like, I'm pretty sure every. Every character that makes an appearance in an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, I don't even know how they're determining like what counts and doesn't count because yeah, there are some characters where like they don't even have names, but it's like they can't just be doing every background character. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if they have like every speaking character or named character. I'm not sure. I wonder if there's like an, a memory alpha component to it. You know, where they're just like pulling every entry off of memory alpha. Mm-hmm, I'm not maybe. I don't know, but the, but I also saw just recently that like they had two separate entries for Chekhov, where one of them was like him on TOS, and one of them was in like the movies. And I was like, well, that's oh that's, really? That's that the could same guy. All sorts like of, that's yeah. it's the same. It's the same actor. Even it's not. It's not even like I could see you being like oh, of doing like have one be Walter Koenig and one be um, Anton Yelchin or something like that. Well, I know they did that, but like I, I could see even where it's like, oh, you have one for Leonard Nimoy and you have one for whatever the name of the guy is that plays him in Discovery, even though that's like the same character. But then it's yeah. like if you have one for um, well, yeah, Walter Koenig and you have another one for Walter Koenig and, it, but and when it's he's not older. a mirror universe guy like that doesn't that seems weird. But yeah, but yeah, that's that's been kind of fun. Uh, I've been, you know, clicking around on that. I'm sure it'll kind of it'll, I'm sure it'll. Uh, heat up a little bit more in yeah i'm rounds. sure the first several rounds are going to be kind of thinning out the herd a little bit and then you'll get down yeah. to the tough ones i was disappointed though because i i had been voting periodically and i i i happened to see that both um lucian and and, and asmodeus the two like uh <laughs> characters from 
the Magics of Megas Two. I don't I don't believe are making it through to, to round two, which I thought was a a bummer. Same. I voted for both of them, but anyway, rip. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today we are talking about Judgment, which is uh, Season 2, Episode 19 of Enterprise. Uh, it is uh, was written by uh, Taylor Elmore and David A. Goodman, and was directed by James L. Conway. And I think I forgot to do this last time, but I'll, I'll read the Memory Alpha little synopsis of it, too, which is um, Archer is charged by a Klingon tribunal for helping rebels try to escape the Empire. And, um, yeah, this is the first time we've done an, ep- an Enterprise episode for a bit. I, yeah. It was also one of those, those things where I was like, sometimes I, I I'm, with this episode names, I'm like, do you think that, like, they're trying to figure out what to name this episode? And then someone was like, have we really not named an episode <laughs> Judgment yet? But then also, it's like that's also a super boring name. So you yeah, know. I felt kind of the same way about gravity. Um, yeah, when we did that Voyager episode, <laughs> just like there was probably a point where they were just like, "Can someone double check and make sure?" I'm sure that like for a sci-fi series that has like over 800 episodes, we, we've really yeah. never done <laughs> just this one common word yet. All right. So I think is this the, is this the fifth episode we've done of Enterprise so far for the show? I think is it's the it? fourth or fifth. I think. I'm going to check, quick check. Um, it is, yeah. Probably the fifth. So we've done, we did the one where they, uh, Malcolm's allergic to pineapples. Yep. We did the Ryza one. Yep. We did the one where they like flash back to Archer in flight school or whatever. Yep. And then we did the time travel one. And the time travel one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is the fifth episode. Is that all we've done? No, that's all we've done. Yeah. yeah. So this is the fifth episode we've done of Enterprise. I would say, I'm curious how you felt about this episode. I liked this episode 10 times more than any other episode of Enterprise. We've really? Done. Yeah. I, I, I liked the time travel one quite a bit, I have to say. This, yeah, I, think you I, I would say I, I liked this one probably maybe a little bit better than that one, but not, not by a lot. This one was quite good, I thought. And definitely like a different thing than we've seen from Enterprise before. So the last episode that we did of Enterprise was the... Neither of us liked the really boring episode where it was all like a flashback to uh, when Archer was like a test pilot for like the first warp capable ship. Yeah. And I remember one thing we were kind of talking about in that episode is that it looked like it had no budget. Like, like it just like it looked like. Yeah. Like, especially all the flashback scenes were just kind of like in like a room. Yeah. With a computer in it. Like, yeah, like just like a normal like two thousand three looking computer. Yeah, like and, conference room with a computer. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that was supposed to be like flight command for NASA or whatever the equivalent right. of that is. Yeah, and then one of the things that watching this episode, I think this is like a part of it. You know, there's other things too I liked about this episode too, but but like, I think a big part of it was just that like this is the probably the first one of these episodes. The time travel episode, like, a little bit, but, like, I, this is, like, the first one of these episodes where I'm, like, oh, they had money to work on this episode. And, like, yeah, it kind of is, like, all on the screen uh, in a lot of ways. And so I – it was, like, just a very fun episode to, like, watch and look at. And then it just takes, like, a very, like, classic Trek premise, you know, the, the trial episode and yeah, just turns it into something really fun. But, yeah, why don't you uh, take us in and we can talk about it. This is a – a very straightforward episode, I would say. There's not like really a lot of like subplots or anything like that. It's just very much 
concerned yeah. with Archer's plight. So it opens up and like really the kind of the setting or like the framing for the entire episode is Archer is on trial in a Klingon, they, uh, they call it, keep calling it a tribunal. Um, and so like the first shot is the tribunal being called to order and you can't see who it is at first. But they kind of bring up this figure that you only see from behind and they're like, you are accused of treason against the empire and the only possible punishment for you will be death. And then they show his face and it's Archer and he's like, I'm not guilty. And then you go to the, the credits, but Archer is on trial in front of the Klingons because he, what he's accused of is that there was, he aided rebels against the Klingon empire and while he was protecting them, attacked a Klingon ship. And this is, because this is like Enterprise, this is before any of the other sort of series of Star Trek, there's been very little interaction at this point between the Klingons and the Federation. They're still kind of very unfamiliar with each other. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't the point, or I guess there isn't even a Federation yet, but between Klingons and humans. I think there's kind of only once or twice they've sort of run into each other, but there's not kind of this well-established weird Starfleet and these are the Klingons and we're like either at war or not at war or at kind of like a cold war. Um, yeah. It's very much just, he's sort of very much like an outsider that's kind of interfering with the Klingon affairs and attacks a Klingon ship. And so he, he is introduced to his, his advocate, sort of the like defense attorney. The public defender. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whose name is, is Colas. Did you see who played Colas? I did. Well, so I, first I was gonna I was gonna use this as an opportunity to play a game that I don't think we've done in a while of of Have we seen this Klingon before? <laughs> we haven't, but we've heard this Klingon before. We have. <laughs> yeah. So it's another one of those things. I was like, surely, like I heard the name, and I'm like, surely there's been another Klingon named Colas. That like sounds such a familiar Klingon name, but no, this is his only that character's only appearance. But yeah, he's played by. The same actor that plays Martok. Yep, J.D. Right? Hertzler, yep. Yeah, if you've watched any amount of Martok, I feel like you can immediately be like, oh, that's Martok. Like, because he sounds very, he's got a very distinctive uh, voice. Yeah. I did also, uh, going back to, this is one that I actually took notes on, but going back to the, uh, the court itself, mm-hmm. I thought it's interesting that apparently this is just a sort of cross-cultural thing in the future that there are multiple civilizations where they use just a big ball yeah. in their courtroom that they bang. Although the Klingon one is notable because it like shoots up sparks every time he does it, which is just very cool. I love, I loved that. Kim thought it was so dumb and I was like, no, this rocks. I, I loved that every time he just bangs this giant metal ball on like this metal thing. And he has like, it's not as like, like a metal like gauntlet that he holds it with too. Yeah, and it's it's rad. It's like super super Klingon. I actually think so. There's a lot of kind of like Klingon lore bits in this that are, you know, I guess you could argue this is like a very fan servicey episode, which I suppose it is. But I mean, I think in the same sense that Enterprise as a show was. Yeah, but th- there's a lot of different Klingon bits in this from like other things, but most notably from the Undiscovered Country, the Star Trek Six. And yeah. I believe that because there is a trial scene in like a courtroom that's extremely similar to this. And then uh, Kirk gets sentenced to uh, Ruripenthe just like uh, Archer does at the end of this episode. And there's some other things, too. But I believe that I think that the the, the weird round gavel glove thing is also from that uh, that movie, too. Oh, is it? I, I don't remember it well enough but... to. 
but still, I believe it. it was it was I I loved it. I loved seeing just, like this big sparking ball. <laughs> what have we watched with like uh, for the for the show? Have we watched anything else for the podcast with like the big ball gavel? Because I know that I'm trying to remember. I'm I feel like we have because I feel like we've talked about it before. Like one of the, but maybe I'm just imagining that. But I feel like there's like at least one of the various like trek court things because i know that there's a someone uses a big ball we made note that like they don't have like a hammer they just have the head maybe it's like a cube Mm -hmm. it's either a ball or like there's something that they just hold the thing and bang it instead of having like a gavel on the end of a hammer yeah i think i think that there's in in ds9 there's an episode we haven't watched yet but there's a ds9 episode i think where that's also that also happens where there you find there's a bajoran judge that has like uh his is like made of of marble or something though it's not metal but yeah he has a big round ball that he slams i mean there's here uh, yeah that's probably what they're they're sp- I'm, I'm almost entirely sure that this will work that if i just search gavel in memory yeah. alpha oh we haven't we haven't gone down a, um, a memory alpha hole in a while on the show yeah uh types of gavel yep so there's two two pictures of the the klingon one with the sparking ball on the glove hand which i i'm making i made the uh episode image just so if you didn't watch the episode uh you'll know what we're talking about yeah so you're right so it was from um from undiscovered country yeah it was the same sort of thing so apparently in the and they do they talk about the deep space nine bajoran ball Mm -hmm. gavel apparently the cardassians use a symbolic rock I'm not sure what I'm thinking of then. Maybe I I might be thinking of the Orville. <laughs> because in the in Court Martial, the original series one, they ring like a ship's bell. Okay. Because it's very much like a naval that's when it's very like naval still. Yeah. I feel like we're missing like an episode I feel like we've done another trial episode maybe, but I besides Court Martial and this, but I can't think well, of it. Well there's be. the uh it's sort of a um, Death Witch is, I feel, sort of a trial Oh, right, episode. right, right. Yes, yes, yes. That's definitely a trial episode, yeah, for sure. In kind of a different way, yeah. But yeah, I feel like, for some reason, I'm picturing something with, like, a ball or a cube, but... Anyway, a common a common uh, thing, weird, weird gavels in Star Trek, for sure. <laughs> Which is, like, not a bad thing. Again, the Space Court episodes are always fun. Yes. Um, <laughs> so then... Uh, as the trial goes on, at first the the prosecution kind of brings their case, and we hear this story from a a Klingon captain uh, who t- says that you know he was pursuing this shuttle of escaped sort of rebels that were traitors to the empire that were being hunted down, and you get very much the sort of same story told from from two different people's perspective mm-hmm. type of presentation here. Um, which I enjoyed, and I also enjoyed just the sort of seeing the other side of, you know, a very common thing in Star Trek of, like, the they encounter another ship, and they come up on the screen and talk to each other, but to see it from the other side, where Archer is the one on the screen, and you're seeing what's going on on the bridge of the other ship. Although the other captain appears to be lying about what <laughs> what Archer was saying. Yeah, but, uh... although I... I don't know. It, this may just be my interpretation because it's later on in the episode, but we do later get sort of the same story told from Archer's perspective. And and yeah, and the other captain, you know, the Klingon captain, when he tells the story, it's Archer comes on screen and he's like, I'm the commander of the Earth battle cruiser Enterprise. And like, how dare you defy me? 
you know, kind of like, screw you, death to the Empire, and then starts attacking them, which we kind of all know is like clearly not how it actually happened. But then mm-hmm. when Archer tells his side of the story, I, I don't know if it was intended this way, but I almost took that as a, like, probably closer to actually accurate, but maybe not, but, like, also kind of biased recollection, like, also a little bit of an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Just in how he, because when he's telling the story, you know, all of the people in Enterprise are very, like, calm and collected the whole time and kind of, like, talking quietly and respectfully and, like, very concerned for the welfare of these people. And the Klingon captain is just very, like, rude and shouty and he's just like, just give them to me now! And then, like, turns the thing off and attacks them. And I'm like, I wonder if it was maybe, like, he's also remembering the Klingon captain as being more rude and mean than maybe he actually was sure that's fair and i I think i don't know that it was necessarily intended that way but i I thought it was an interesting way to interpret it of like both of these things are being told from different points of view um and the truth is actually kind of somewhere between them Mm -hmm. so uh i think we would be remiss without saying what the name of the Klingon captain is did you catch this no i didn't so the name of the Klingon captain is duras uh aka I bl- he, oh, he's supposed to be like that's the that's like the house that um the sisters are yep. in right yeah Lester and Bator are from are they from the house of Duras and actually apparently I didn't I was reading about this later that actually like his forehead ridges are identical to the ridges that the sisters have so like there's actually like a family connection there oh interesting and the ship that he's flying is called the Bortus I believe and in TNG. The Bortus is Gowron's flagship that he uses to fight against the sisters during the Klingon Civil War that happens in oh, really? in TNG. So, oh wow, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know all of that, but I I immediately clocked uh, Duras. I was like, oh, that must be an ancestor of uh, Lursa and Bator. So I thought that was kind of nice. kind of fun. That's a cool little touch, yeah. Mm-hmm. For those of us that are super into Klingon lore among Star Trek fans. Yeah. They never call out any of that stuff in there, but I was just like, oh, that's like kind of fun that, you know, he's, yeah. I guess a small galaxy, but you know, it's still <laughs> fun. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of, he kind of gives this and Archer keeps trying to defend himself, but they keep on saying, you need to shut up. Like, that's not really how these courts were supposed to go. Yeah. That it's very much like the, so the way sort of the first session goes is the prosecution presents their their case of what happened and then the defendant is just like very well and like doesn't let archer talk doesn't make any sort of case in his defense and is just like well that's just how the court goes is the charges are presented and then the judge decides and as archer's kind of talking to him afterwards um you get sort of the story of of Colas of this this advocate that mm-hmm. He says, you know, I've been practicing law for decades and, you know, when I first started, it was the truth was what mattered and trials would be, you know, you would present your case and argue for the truth and everyone actually like cared about doing the right thing. And now in like an interest, it's one of those like interesting things that gets dropped that makes you kind of wonder more about this like backstory is he, he says basically that kind of the warrior class has sort of risen to power in Klingon society. The Klingons used to be like very diverse and like, he's like, my mother was a teacher and my dad was a scientist. And 
but now sort of, you know, that it didn't used to be that Klingons were just like all about war mm-hmm. and that this has kind of come up recently. And so now the courts are just kind of an instrument of maneuvering for political power and glory and, you know, that the warrior class kind of runs everything now, which I thought was an interesting like backstory to give sort of the beginning of our knowledge of Klingon history. Yeah, it's kind of a retcon that I, I really liked. It kind of makes them into, I think, a little bit more complex maybe than the Klingons are often portrayed as. Yeah, because there's a, there's a thing where, like, Archer's like, you mean there's a warrior class? And he's like, what, you thought just, like, every Klingon was a soldier? And Archer's like, yeah. well, yeah, I did. <laughs> and you're sitting there and just kind of like, yeah, I kind of did too, but it doesn't actually totally make sense if... Guess. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because like I think that's actually like a cool again maybe maybe some people hated this but I liked that I think it kind of gives them a little bit more of like a more complex backstory and apparently too this is something else I was reading on the Memory Alpha that I didn't really clock at the time but uh, you know Colos basically says that because people are can become so obsessed with like honor and glory and winning that in combat they're kind of like trying to manufacture these bloody victories over over victims who, you know, can't actually defend themselves because it's kind of like, they th- it's almost like indulgences where they're like, oh, well, this is getting us honor. It's kind of like an easy way for us to get honor and glory. Yeah. And then I guess in the first episode of uh, Discovery, or one of the first episodes of Discovery, um, Takuvma actually says something like that and basically that that's one reason why the empire is like kind of stagnant is because ev- they're just kind of obsessed with like all like fighting all these little blood feuds to try to mm, and and so instead of taking on like and so that's why he like tries to take on like the whole federation right to like really get glory yeah and then, and then it's interesting too because like then you see that that still kind of plays out like a hundred you know hundred years later in the nineties era shows where even like say like soldiers of the empire were like you know, Martok does not want to attack that defenseless uh, ship, the Jemadar ship. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we should do it. It'll give the your crew, uh, you know, more. They'll, they'll feel like better morale. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I was like, it's, it's interesting, like, to kind of retcon it. So now it kind of is like, oh, this is the really, really can see, like, it was a good retcon where it, it, it almost like feels like it made sense the whole time where it's like, oh yeah, like this is kind of like how their yeah. culture has gotten like so obsessed with this stuff is that, uh, yeah, of course at some point you had dead people who were like gatherers and like did other things. And I thought, it, I thought it was good. Yeah, I did too. And it, and it does what he says there where he, he says something like that. There's no honor in basically like picking on somebody weaker than you. And I think that, that sort of becomes or like sets the th- a theme like a recurring thing throughout this episode is that you know archer is the one who keeps standing up for the weaker person even in the face of sort of a stronger foe and he's like protecting the little guy against someone that's stronger than him and like not afraid of the person who's stronger than him and like that's the really sort of more honorable stance because sort of the story that that comes out as archer tells because they they go back to the court and Kolos sort of has a change of heart and says, like, I am going to present testimony, and now I'm going to present Archer's side of the story. And so Archer, as he tells the story, says that, you know, they came across this shuttle from this planet that had been 
sort of, I guess, annexed maybe by the Klingon Empire, that these Klingon warriors had come there and sort of taken all their stuff and said, you're part of the Empire now, and like that means that you're under our protection. But then the the Klingons never came back, and they kind of abandoned this colony. And so these refugees were fleeing from there, and their ship had run out of resources, and was, its life support was failing, and so half of them had died and they were all very like malnourished and weak. And so the enterprise rescued them and brought them on board to, um, to help them. And then that's when this, this Klingon battle cruiser showed up and was like, you're harboring enemies of the empire and you need Mm -hmm. to give them back to me. And so, and they, they do make, uh, and they kind of had made this clear when they were first telling the story is that this cruiser very much kind of has the enterprise outgunned it's like bigger and has better weapons and so they do a very kind of star trekky outsmart them thing where they fly into the rings of a planet and ignite the gas to sort of disable their sensors and then that allows them to escape and so so that we find out that kind of that's that's more the story is that you know archer was never attempting to like attack the klingons or start a war with the empire he was just trying to escape and like protect these these helpless mm-hmm. people can i say too just like i liked this a lot too because i, I kind of because there, there's something that um when we're talking about like where to hide the, the the people who are running away uh in the in the flashback to says something along the lines of like em- empires generally expand and it, it really made me think that, like oh yeah like this is another kind of like interesting like expansion of who the klingons are because like this is like one of the first times i can ever think of in star trek that i've seen where like They've actually, like, talked about what the Klingon Empire is. Because they talk about the Klingon Empire, but I feel like, generally speaking, you only ever see Klingons. And then it's like, oh, well, if they're an empire, then yeah. I mean, like, that, just based on the definition of that word and, like, all of the amount of space they're covering, then yeah, it would suggest that they are basically ruling over all of these other planets where... You know, they have all these like vassal planets, and I just never really like thought about that even really. And it was just kind of like, oh yeah, like that's interesting, and that also kind of gives them like a different shade of like, this is something else that they're doing. Um, I don't know. I I I, I dug yeah. it. I, I enjoyed seeing kind of like the other side of like this is who the Klingons are being the Empire of, which I just don't think you see very often in in Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. That is interesting. That they kind of show that that aspect of of something that's mm-hmm. pretty commonly said, and so um, I, I also so when they when they rescue the the sort of refugees, there's a sick bay scene where kind of Flox is checking them out, and he's like, you know, yeah, many of them are are like sick and malnourished, and like their ship had lost life support, and then he says like, I've placed them, and like you know, half of them have died, and he's like, I've placed them all on protein <laughs> supplements. And it just seemed like a little bit of a, of an under sure. reaction yeah. to, you know, like we've, we've spent weeks with like nothing and like, we're, we're all like wrecked with disease and dying. And he's like, here, have like some insurers, mm-hmm. but yeah. And so then they, they come back to the courtroom the final time and the judge delivers the verdict, which is that, you know, even though Kirk or uh, not Kirk, uh, even though Archer is not going to be executed, like the prosecution wanted, um, he will instead be uh, exiled to to Rurapenthi, which is this Klingon prison colony um, that we that we first saw in in the undiscovered country. Yeah, 
it's a very like kind of like letter of the law versus spirit of the law thing where you know Kolos has, has kind of pointed out he wasn't he obviously wasn't trying to kill these people like he the kill the klingons like he's actually helped the klingons out several times so you know his motivations and you understand what he was trying to do now from his perspective and so and the judge basically is like well you're right but technically he still broke what our version of the law is so I won't. I won't sentence him to death, but I'll. Yeah, so you can't just let him go. Yeah, for I won't sentence him to death, but I'll. I'll sentence him to like this terrible prison colony where, which will almost for sure kill him. Yeah, and so Kolos kind of argues about that and says that you know then he is when he kind of delivers the speech of like it used to be that the law was respected and like we would actually appreciate it and now it's just kind of used for furthering personal agendas and kind of you know, speaks out of line. And so the judge s- decides to send him to Repenthe together with Archer. Um, Which is a pretty, a pretty rough uh, contempt of court uh, sentence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so then they're working in the, in the mines on Repenthe. And, and I thought, you know, this is good that there's like another, another scene here where, you know, Kolos, because he's, he's older and, and clearly like not, strong enough to kind of do this heavy manual labor is is struggling and one of the one of the guards comes to sort of kick him along and archer again kind of in keeping with sort of his character through this episode like stands up for him in kind of the same way that the real honor is standing up for the weaker Mm -hmm. person even against someone that's stronger than you and so archer gets beat up by the guards and they're kind of recovering together and and talk a little bit more about you know what this means and and that, and then uh, Malcolm Reed shows up, and we find out that T'Pol had kind of pulled some strings from previous uh, like interactions she had had with with powerful Klingons to be able to not quite get Archer released, but kind of convince the Klingons to look the other way while he escapes. Yeah, she like bribed somebody. Yeah, and so Archer and Reed are kind of getting ready to leave, and Archer asks Kolos, you know, you should come with us, you should escape with us, and Kolos says, no, like, I, I need to do my best to, like, change Klingon society and do something for the good, and so I'm gonna serve out my sentence here, but, like, then work to to kind of stand up and say the right thing and to make a difference in Klingon society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, too, like, he doesn't, he's, like, basically, um, you know, Archer, uh, says, oh, you should come with us. And he's like, I, I can't restore my people's honor as a fugitive. And he's like, well, you, you didn't you say that most people die here after six months? And he says, well, yeah, yeah. but I I have something to live for. Most Yeah, most of the people here don't have something to live for. And I liked that. This yeah. is like a good Archer episode, too. Like, I think I liked Archer in this more than I've liked him. I, I think sometimes, like, he just kind of seems like a proto-Kirk in a way. And... Even mm-hmm. in this episode, he kind of is, but like I don't know. I thought this was like he got to be, you know, charismatic in this one, and maybe it's just because like the mood I'm in. You know, we're in the, we're in March. I haven't I haven't gotten vaccinated yet. You know, I and and I'm just kind of like there's a lot of stuff going on that just makes me sad about the world. But like there's there's a moment in this where where Carlos is talking to to Archer about kind of the state of uh, the Klingon people and he says oh something similar happened to humans like we had to fight three world wars before you know we figured out our our problems and yeah and then like a few a few brave people that did the right thing yeah 
um, kind of made a difference and changed things. Yeah, and he he said that, and I part of me like kind of felt sad because like I was like I don't really know that I believe that like that in in real life that like that that's enough anymore. Like there's a degree to which I often just kind of feel like the systems and the the weight of like all of the stuff that's arrayed against like individuals or even like people who try to form a collective to like make a difference. Like it sometimes just seems like too, too great. And so it did make me a little sad, but then I was also like, ultimately, like I still think even though I sometimes feel like cynical about that stuff, I feel like that's the way you have to live. Like you have to like live in a way where like that stuff is worth doing and that you feel like, you know, it's possible even if it's hard to make a difference, you have to try and that just made me yeah. think about like that's what I like about Star Trek is that I like that it does like ultimately like in the face of everything like off- offer like a more optimistic view of like what the future could be you know and so I, I yeah. did appreciate it even though it made me like a little bit like it was like a bittersweet thing almost to like watch that part of the episode so yeah I I like this episode a lot I just thought it was like you know, it's very like kind of classic premise that I liked, and then also, like I said, it just looks really nice. Like the Corlin looks really cool. The the Gab looks cool. I I was again impressed that they went to Rurapente at the end, and it's like a different, an actual like unique cave set that I've never seen in another Star Trek show. Where you know, it's like you watch enough like '90s Star Trek, and you're like, oh, they have like two different. Yeah, this is like the forest, and this is the cave. Well, yeah, they have like two different cave sets that you can be like, oh yeah, it's that cave, you know. So it did seem like they had a little bit of like money to throw around too, which I think totally helped. But uh, I, yeah. I know this one. I thought it was fun. Uh, you have anything else for this one, though? I did make a note that... Um, so there's a... I do still have the like little moment whenever we come across a like an appearance in an episode that becomes a character in timelines. Oh, yeah. Of being like, oh, it's it's Rurapenthi Reed. Yes, um, I saw it too. Although he never like does the thing. So there's a there's a character in in the game Star Trek timelines that we talk about far too much. Um, but it's it's Reed, and he's wearing that kind of big fur coat, and he's he he's holding that sort of like pickaxe that he's carrying when he first comes in the end of this episode. And the picture in the game, he's like sort of yelling and like swinging it like he's in a fight, and you never actually see that I think in this episode. But presumably this is where that yeah i wonder if character came from maybe repentance comes back or something in, in the show too but yeah maybe by the way we're still you know if you if you play timelines join our guild we're called out of contracts That's right uh, out of contracts requested and i'll let you in <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other thing i made a note and i tried to look to see if this was the case and could only find like one sort of like person asking a similar thing on like the comments page of memory alpha i think but when they first show like the the mines in Rurapente, like the very first shot there's like a very blurry figure in the distance that looks like neelix oh really um yeah which like clearly isn't because like he's from the delta quadrant yeah um and like there shouldn't be talaxians in the off quadrant but just like and again it's like too far away to really make out any distinctive features but just something in like the the hair looks a lot like a talaxian Mm. Mm. oh one other thing i was going to say too just briefly because we've been talking about all of these different parallels between different klingon things and this episode is that even this is something again i think if you i i really had a good time reading the memory alpha notes for this this episode um but like 
you know, we've we already talked about like that. It's a it's a trial with um, where like the captain of an of an enterprise is is kind of like taken to court for his crimes and his his sentence is commuted to time to to, to serving time in in Rapente instead of a death penalty, which is all very similar. But something else that they that they pointed out in the thing is that he also has an honorable defense advocate who is played by an actor better known for playing a different Klingon later on in the timeline. Because if do you remember? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the, the person who is his defense attorney, his defense advocate in Star Trek six is Michael Dorn playing another person named Worf from century, from like a century prior to uh, the Worf that we know. So again, that was probably, I'm guessing also probably intentional. So like, Oh, we could get, we could get Martok to, to fill in for this. Uh, so that's kind of, again, kind of a fun thing. And I, I like JJ Hertzler a lot in, in DS9. So it was a pleasure for me to, to see him pop up. And I think he, I believe he plays like another Klingon or two in enterprise, you know, other roles as well. So maybe we'll, we'll bump into him again at some point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, thank you everybody for listening. This show comes out every other week. Uh, so you can come back in, uh, two Sundays from now to listen to, uh, us talk about survival instinct, which is season six, episode two of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out our Twitter at Contracts. You can uh, visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. You can email us at, at outofcontracts at gmail.com, or you can go uh, on our YouTube page, which is Out of Contracts. Our YouTube page is new, so it's it's mostly right now anyway, just going to be you know, reposts of the episodes. But uh, if you rather listen, if you'd rather listen to that stuff there, or if you know someone who likes to listen to podcasts on YouTube, you know, you can send that them that way and they can listen to that stuff there. Um, you can also listen to the other podcasts on the Kaleidoscope Media Network, which we are a part of. There's Here's Johnny, which is a horror media podcast. There's That's Not How Science Works, which is a science pop culture podcast. There's Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, until then, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.